Welcome back to the podcast series from Square Mile, Behind the Screens, hosted by me, Jock Glover, the Strategic Relationships Director here at Square Mile Investment Consulting and Research. As you know, in this series of podcasts, we like to meet members of the investment teams from across the asset management industry, whose funds we rate, and spend 15 minutes or so chatting to them to get some insight into their current thinking. This week, we have Ian Rees. He's an investment director and co-manager of the Russa, Ruffer, I beg your pardon, the Ruffer Diversified Return Fund. And the Square Mile analysts rate the £2.8 billion fund, uh, awarding it a single A rating. Fund sets out to achieve positive market returns in all market conditions over any 12-month period after costs and charges. Um, and they're looking overall to create a, or well, they run it with a philosophy of capital preservation uh, with the portfolio. So, Ian, welcome to the Square Mile podcast. Good afternoon, Jock. Thank you very much for, for having me. And I apologise for calling you Russell a minute ago. I don't quite know where that came from, but um, <laughs> it is definitely rougher. Um, and uh, I suppose let's start with rougher as a business. You are quite well known um, for taking quite differentiated positions from the rest of the market. Um what at the moment is keeping you guys up at night, having had a really good 2020 in terms of performance? No, it's, it's a good question. We are known for being slightly different or having different views to the market. And I think that plays or comes through our unconstrained approach. So, you know, we are active asset allocators. If an asset has no attraction or value for us, we, we will step aside. In terms of what would keep us up at night, I mean, theoretically hopefully hopefully very little and 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 the reason i say that is because we aim to construct portfolios that are somewhat agnostic to what's going on around the world yeah we construct using yeah sort of somewhat simplistically a balance between growth and protective assets so what we're not trying to do is build a portfolio that's dependent on a certain event playing out so i don't go to bed on a thursday and worry that if payrolls come in week tomorrow afternoon in the us then the portfolio is going to fall in value you know we would always expect there to be something in the portfolio hopefully making money but also something in the portfolio that's likely acting as a headwind but if we can be slightly more right than we are wrong then hopefully we can can compound along nicely i think you know that <laughs> That makes it sound easy. I mean, clearly, we have an aim not to lose money. You know, in those periods where we're not quite getting it right, you know, and your returns might be underwater, you, know, you are challenging some of those key beliefs that you have. I think historically, and, and I include my history, but also rough as a you know sort of twenty-eight year history, those worries are often or have tended to be more pronounced at the latter stages of a bear market. That's sorry, the latter stages of the bull market as the market is you know, giving up on, on certain asset classes and, and focusing in a narrower part, Ruffer will often sit on the other side in the, you know, the outer fashion part of the market. And but that can be challenging through time. You, know, you are different and have differing views to the market. And, and I think it's only natural that you do challenge and constantly question yourselves when it's not necessarily working. And I know last year um, when we had that hiccup with the UK where Liz Trust and co um, threw the baby out with the bathwater and caused mayhem in the fixed income market for a couple of weeks. You were sitting on the other side of that trade, weren't you? Uh, or, or well, when when it all happened, you went into the market to to pick up um, some of the gilts and uh, uh, and bonds that had been sold off incredibly heavily uh, in the previous week or three. 
Um, is that something that you've still got positioned in the portfolio or is that something that uh, is evolved again over the course of the last sort of six months or so as markets have changed a bit? Yeah, that's true. I think, look, in, let's back it out slightly. I mean, we, we've held long-dated index-linked gilts for you know, over 10 years. I mean, they're, they've been a core position in the portfolio. So around the time of, well, how should we put it, the UK bond market debacle, trustonomics, I, I don't know how you want to describe it. That was clearly unhelpful for the bonds that we already held. However, the rest of the portfolio was performing you know, robustly. You know, In aggregate, we were doing fine. What we were able to do, we had you know liquid part of the portfolio able to deploy what we felt were very very attractive prices. You know, essentially, you had a market in freefall where there were essentially only sellers and no buyers. We were able to deploy small amounts. I think we added about a percent and a half, two percent of the portfolio to the long dated index link guilt market, not knowing where the bottom was. But what we did feel was that at some point, policymakers would have to step in to put a floor in this market. And those prices would prove to be very attractive. Um, for the assets that we bought around um, around the tri- time of trustonomics, they were sold within about four weeks. So we opportunistically added to the long linkers and then sold that sort of increment once, uh, once the prices had recovered. We continue to hold exposure to long-dated index and gilts. We also have exposure to long-dated uh, US tips, where you know, on, on a valuation basis now, we think they look quite attractive. So if, if I hold a US tip to 2051, I get a positive real yield of 1.6, 1.7%. So essentially inflation plus. We think that's quite an attractive starting point for an environment where we expect to see real yields move lower structurally. And just on that then, so I mean, you've got these inflation-linked bonds in the portfolio, though long duration. Interest rates have obviously been going up over the course of the last year and a half or so. Um, Some of the inflation numbers that have been coming out even today um, have perhaps been a bit higher than the market's been expecting. The market looks like for the last month or four, it's been expecting central banks to start cutting rates sooner rather than later. Are you therefore sitting on the side of the fence that that's not going to happen in a hurry and we're, we're going to see this higher interest rate environment here for longer and inflation is going to be here for longer? What we, what we see structurally is a period where inflation is going to be higher than what we've, for most people in the industry today, have grown accustomed yeah. to. So inflation at sort of two percent or below, you know, we, we think it will be on average higher, but also much more volatile than it has been. You know, some of the disinflationary forces that acted, if you like, as a as a dampener to inflation over the last three decades have have ended. We think um, so. We see inflation is going to be higher. The difficulty, if you like, is well, if you have high inflation, what do policymakers tend to do? Well, they tend to jack up rates. And, and choke that off. And, and that's sort of what you saw last year, well, last 18 months. It, it's been quite a painful period. But we do think there's a limit to how high rates can go because that's being forced through an economy where leverage or, you know, sort of borrowings are very, very high. Yeah. And, and that we think creates somewhat of a fragile position. Uh, you've seen historic. Is that uh, household borrowing? Is that household borrowings or corporate borrowings or both? Really both. I mean, yeah. particularly um, corporates, government in particular, you know, it, it's there's an amount of debt outstanding 
that is very large. You know, the balance has shifted, if you like, from 07 to to 2023 today. You know, households are not as levered as as they were relative to to corporates. But what we think that does, it makes it difficult for policymakers to truly choke off inflationary forces because you know, we've seen you know as rates have risen. You know, let's choose the US as an example, if you like. They've started to expose fragilities. You know, we saw that. You know, if you like the back end of last year, last year was sort of you know the crypto sphere, but I think more importantly this year, you know, the banking system in the US. You know, we would argue that last year was about the rate of change in interest rates, and it was important that yeah you know, they moved from twenty five to fifty to seventy five basis points. But now we actually have the problem of living with that. You know, if you hold rates at five percent, five and a half percent, at some point mortgages need to be renewed. In particularly in the, in, the, in the UK, corporates have been very clever. They borrow for as, as long as possible, if you like, at very low rates. But at some point, that will come through, and that means that if you come into maybe an environment where policymakers would like to cut rates because the economy is slowing. If you have an inflationary problem in the backdrop, I mean, whose who's interests are you serving? Are you serving financial stability? And if you like asset markets, or are you putting the interests of the man on the street beforehand? And that's a very difficult balancing act for, for financial market, sorry, for central banks to have to, to juggle with. You touched briefly there on crypto and the challenges around crypto. And I know that a couple of years ago, you had a bit of crypto in the portfolio, which was met by some investors with mixed feelings. Um, I'm just going to ask you about crypto, uh, not because I'm a big fan of um, Bitcoin or Ethereum or, or, or one of the currencies, but the technology itself, do you see that as something that is worth being an investor into the technology going forward? Or is it, were you just taking advantage of something that had great momentum and was looking like it was going to keep going to the moon for the next nine months because of all the hype that was around it and that it was an opportunity to have a short-term trade? Okay, good question. I'll, I'll, I'll answer the latter half first. Yeah. I mean, the rationale for adding Bitcoin, we felt there were characteristics similar to gold. And at that moment in time, yeah, I'll, I'll cut, if you like, a, a long story short, you had potential the potential for rising institutional adoption. We felt that maybe you know the crypto sphere, particularly Bitcoin, were going to become maybe into the into the mainstream rather mm-hmm. than sitting on the fringes of the financial system. But also, you had a, a strong liquidity tailwind in in financial markets, which would have helped gold as well. We, we felt so we you know, we took two percent out of gold and put it in into Bitcoin. I mean, our timing <laughs> was was very. Yeah, we were very well timed, and it performed very well. We, we we fully acknowledge that. The facts did change and have changed sort of since we got out. You know, when uh, I think it was Elon Musk was sort of on <laughs> on Twitter and the like, sort of pumping cryptocurrencies, that made us think that hold on, this isn't necessarily going to behave the way that maybe gold would yeah. in a risk off event. You know, this is looking quite speculative. Um, and I think looking to today, you know, one of the there's two differences, if you like, that I picked up on. Uh, the collapse of FTX has probably scarred potential institutional adoption for a long, long time. And that liquidity tailwind for financial markets is turning to or is turning or has turned to a headwind. And that's something that we're quite nervous about more broadly in terms of financial markets. So it, it's not on our on our radar. Okay. What I would say in terms of the technology, I think, yeah, you shouldn't overlook the potential 
if you like diamonds in the rough, you know, in the way that you know, te- uh, the internet and technology stocks in 2000, financial markets can often misprice technology and, and, and things can come through. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily have to be you know, all doom and gloom. I'm not a, a crypto <laughs> expert, so I, I can't necessarily give you, you know, this is the thing to know about or, you know, or be invested in, but you know, there might well be some value in the technology that has been sort of built up over the last decade or so. So, okay, I'm going to use that as an intro to give you the question I was left by Steve last week. So Steve Voorhees, who's the director of research at Dodge and Cox, and he said, how does artificial intelligence impact the economy and us as investors, which is, I suppose, kind of linked to the, the Bitcoin technology. It's, it's one step on from there. Do you have a view on that? Or is that something that, again, is just too early to say whether it's going to be good, bad or ugly? I think, no, it's a... It's a good question because it's it's basically probably 30% of broker emails that I get now on a daily basis seem to be talking about the impact of AI on their on their coverage. I can't remember who came up with the quote, but I think it's it's a very good one. You know, financial markets tend to overestimate the impact of technology in the short term and underestimate the longer term benefits or sorts of ramifications that can come through. And I would probably expect to put AI in that category, I think on a on a shorter term market basis, you know, very very short term looking backwards, it's seemingly given technology stocks another sort of runway for growth. So if you if you like, you know, one of the things that's caught my eye over the last couple of weeks since Silicon Valley Bank has been the divergence in performance of say the S and P five hundred market cap weighted and the S and P five hundred equal weighted. You know, one, i.e., the market cap weighted is up almost 10% for the year, and the equal cap is is flat. And that came about not so long ago. And I think one of the key drivers of that, the NVIDIA, that is an AI dream. You know, other technology stocks will be benefiting from you know, the potential growth in AI. So we we would argue that there are you know, things that will become too euphoric, you know, excess optimism, but also potentially there'll be things left behind, you know, whether either they are perceived to be uninteresting because there is no AI benefit, you know, they're old tech, you know, think of your energy companies, industrials, or whether you could have companies where investors sort of uh, misplace the risk, right? They think that the disruption could be greater than it is. In, in the short term. Lo- longer term, I, I don't dare give a, a clear <laughs> uh, sort of strong um, prediction, but but I think the technology has powerful uh, implications. But I think one difference compared to maybe the last 15 years or so where technology companies, I would say, at least initially operated in quite a loose remit in terms of regulation, I do wonder if governments are going to try and be more on the front foot in terms yeah. of controlling AI. I mean, you've seen it in China over the last couple of years, clamping down on the technology companies. You know, they they are very, uh, how should we say, uh, quite tight in the restrictions thus far for AI. You know, it was on the agenda at the G7. I, I do think that's a different backdrop and, and will be interesting for investors to have to have to assess. So that's something that investors may not really have thought about at this moment in time, but it's that regulatory or political influence that may come down the line as well, which yeah. is much more difficult to price in and much more difficult to deal with the, from a timing perspective as well. Yeah. Just we've talked about 
all sorts of interesting things, um, but we haven't really talked outside of the index linkers of what's going on in the portfolio and what themes you've got at the moment. Can you just give us a quick snapshot of some of the thoughts and themes that are running in the portfolio and, and what might make you reconsider that in terms of uh, the world that we're in at the moment? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, we're often, how should I put it, often um, deemed to be very cautious investors. I think that can often be be misplaced, but I would say the portfolio we have today is one that is particularly defensive. You know, we do have a very cautious or you know nervous outlook for risk assets in general. Um, our equity weighting is towards the lower end of our you know, of our all time history, about fifteen percent. Where we are willing to take risk is not in, if you like, where we think investors are currently hiding. So investors are hiding in growth stocks that are duration proxies or very defensive businesses, if you like, that you know, yeah. give you perceived safety, but I would argue not necessarily safety in terms of valuation. Where we have our sort of growth exposure is well. What if growth fears are overdone and the economy is stronger? Where do we think that would, you know, the benefits would play out? So we have exposure to commodities, whether that's through uh, stocks, whether that's through direct exposure, if you like, to, to spot prices. Mm-hmm. Or we, we do have some exposure to as well, the sort of cur- currency, com- uh, sorry, commodity currencies as well that would, would play into that. So a cautious overall weighting, um, but where we are, Taking risk is it with a sort of growth, economic growth, uh, sort of positive mindset. In terms of the protection in the portfolio, you know, I spoke about uh, long-dated inflation-linked bonds. You know, we, we do have that protection, if you like, against the world of financial repression. But on a shorter-term basis, we have protection in the form of derivatives. You know, put options on on equity indices. We have positions that will benefit in value should corporate bond spreads widen. So if yeah. you see stress uh, in the corporate bond market, and and really the what we're worried about acutely is the potential for a liquidation in financial markets. So I, I spoke about the dangers of you know, holding rates high, you know, say five five and a half percent. The danger that ultimately this could lead to an unwind in financial market positioning, essentially in one go. So not having an orderly sell off, but yeah. quite a short sharp burst. Where most assets are for sale, you know, not that dissimilar maybe to a March 2020, um, and that means if you like the, there is a relatively large cash balance in the portfolio by our, our historical standards. So yeah. about 30, 35 percent of the portfolio will be in cash or short dated bonds. Cash is not an asset that will make you money. You know, it's not going to it's not going to appreciate in a downturn. But what it does give us is that dry powder that when opportunities on the other side may appear, you are able to deploy them at, the, you know, at more attractive prices. And for the first time in a long time, at least you're paid to wait you know, 4 or 5% on some of those instruments. So, so it'd be fair to say the portfolio is not positioned for a sharp bull run at this precise <laughs> moment in time. Um, if the markets keep grinding sideways and a bit of volatility, it's probably okay. And if the, if the markets drop a, a 20, 25, 30% repricing, then you've got some powder to pile back into some interesting ideas. Yeah, it, it certainly is in position for a for the onset of a of a bull run. That that is for sure. Uh if we went if markets went sort of violently sideways, that we would look you know dull, a bit yeah. pedestrian, and and we sort of acknowledge that some of the protection would would carry a cost that was yeah. that was unnecessary. But I think ultimately we we don't 
uh, let me put it another way, some of the, the worries that we have won't stay in place for sort of two, three years. You know, ultimately, it's going to, we think it will find the fragility, you know, the weakness of financial markets will be exposed and that crack will appear. And, you know, and that would lead to a short, sharp correction, which... Where we we would, you know, the portfolio would would weather that pretty robustly. You know, we, would, we would be confident that, you know, we, we would meet our aim of delivering a positive return for our investors. Well, on that note, I think we've run, <laughs> we've run out of time, Ian. Um, so all that remains for me to do uh, is to thank you, Ian Rees, Investment Director at Ruffer, for your thoughts and insights today. We've had a wide-ranging and very interesting conversation, so thank you very much. And uh, you, the listeners, for your support. Uh, again, I said every week, I don't know if anyone's been bold enough to do it yet, but if you want to contact us directly, please do so through our webpage, www.squaremileresearch.com, or by emailing us at info at squaremileresearch.com. This podcast is only aimed at professional advisors and regulated firms and should not be passed on to or relied upon by any other persons. It is not intended for retail investors who should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this podcast. Remembering past performance is not an indication of future performance. It is published by and remains the copyright of Squaremart Investment Consulting and Research. Squaremart makes no warranties or representations regarding the accuracy or completeness of the information contained herein. This podcast represents the views and forecasts of Squaremart at the date of issue and may be subject to change without reference or notification to you. Nothing in this podcast shall be deemed to constitute a regulated activity or an invitation or inducement to engage in investment activity, and it is not a recommendation to buy or sell any funds or investments that are mentioned during this podcast. Thank you.